Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Thank you, thank you. I can't wait. Hello. Hey, y'all. I love that we're in the South and I can just say, hey, y'all. All right. Could we go ahead and put his name up? Can we get his name up on the screen? Amen. Ladies, would you just look at his name? This is the name above all names at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is only one name in this room that is worthy of glory and honor. Only one name holds power to send demons running. Only one name changes the atmosphere of every room that it is spoken into because only one name saves. Only one name heals. Only one name raises the dead and only one name rises above all other names. He always has been and he always will be the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords, the eternal son of God, God himself, ladies, and his name is Jesus. And if you have ever been saved by this name, healed by this name, loved by this name, then can you give a shout that this name is worthy of? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you are worthy. Come on, say his name, ladies. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, Jesus. You are better than our best thought of you. Amen? Amen. Well, I hail from the center of the state, and I am so glad to be up in the northwest corner of the state, but I got to just give some love for a second. I know you love your pastors, and if you're not a member of the house church, maybe you go to church somewhere else, that's all right, boo, you are welcome at our table, okay? But I just have to show some love. Pastor Katie and Pastor Stephen, they gave me an invitation not to just come here and open up the word of God with you, but to come and rest and receive, because I don't know about you, but I needed it. I needed it today, but I also want to thank Pastor Katie. You listened to her story and all that she has walked through. You and I may never understand the cost of the anointing that's on her life, but we need to honor her. And I've got to tell you, the last three, four, five years, y'all, it has been the most challenging years of ministry, arguably, in our generation. But your pastors and leaders have walked through it with integrity. You have walked through it with truth. When our culture is seeking to define, redefine, and undefine what it did not create, your pastors are speaking truth in love. They are leading you well. Come on, give it up for your leaders. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as Pastor Katie said, I have been serving at New Life Church for the past 17 years. Has been such a great honor. What a great investment, too, into the house of God. I just am so thankful to be there. But the last 15 or 16 years of those 17 years, I have had a best friend by my side. And she is sitting at this table, this beauty. Raise your hand, Nikita. Yes. And, y'all, she is going to kill me for this. But I have the mic. <laughs> Her name is actually Nikita Reno, M-E-D-B-C-B-A. She has a lot of letters behind her name, which means she's real smart, y'all. She is, okay? And could you, listen, she spent a whole lot of years working on those letters, which is why I love to honor her. Could you give it up for her? I love it. 
And not only, not only is she brilliant, you guys, but she is wise. She is unapologetically in love with Jesus, and she is a plant mom of over 100 plants. And just so you know, if you give me a plant, it's dead by Thursday. Okay? All right? Um, also, whoever put a gift in our house last night, I just, you knew her. You gave her plant stuff, and you gave me a fake plant, and I love it! I love it, y'all! It was so perfect. But usually, y'all, this is the moment usually when a speaker puts up a picture of their husband and their children. But y'all, I am not in that stage of life. I am not married, and I do not have children. So usually what I bring is a picture of my favorite pair of shoes. Because that is relevant, okay? It matters, right? This is my newest pair. Anyways, um, yes, I know. Some of y'all feel me. Amen. Thank you. I knew you were my people. I love this. But I did actually bring you a picture today of some more of my people. And if we can get that picture up there. Okay. First of all, this was at Christmas time, which is my favorite time of year. But, oh, it's a little bit dim. Okay. Well, let me tell you the shadows you're looking at. Okay. On the far right is my brother-in-law, Brandon. Next to him is my beautiful sister, Rebecca. She is holding my almost three-year-old nephew, Zavi Zane, who is a leader, and you know what I mean by that. Um, and short stack in the front is Israel. She is my seven-year-old niece. Oh, I just love her. That girl hears from the Lord. And behind her is my sister, Amber, who I live with. And it's kind of hard to see, but Amber and Rebecca are twins. They look nothing alike. You can already tell one is up here and one is down here. They don't look anything alike. And then that cheeky girl on the end with a coffee cup in her hand, that's your girl. That's your girl. <clears throat> Always with my coffee. In fact, I think I saw <laughs> Got it right there. Always with my coffee. Um, but y'all, hasn't today been amazing? Woo, we needed this, right? And I got to tell you, Pastor Katie's message was so important for me to hear because I need to remember that my life is not my own that I have been bought with a price, that I am simply clay in the hands of a good father, a good potter, and today I yield my heart to him, and I say, you can make me whatever you want me to be. Amen? You know, I used to think that um, I wanted to do pottery. Anybody else feel like you could do it? You know? You feel like you could do it? Right, exactly. I feel like I could do it, and I think I could be baller at it. Let me just be real, okay? But I've run into an issue. I hate the feeling of dried clay. I hate that feeling. Do y'all have a, any kind of texture you think of and you're like, you got the willies? Yes, yes, that is dried clay for me like terracotta pots. Woo! Jesus help me. But my best friend, being a plant lady, she can touch terracotta all day long and it does not affect her, but it about makes me want to vomit. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, the life of a believer is like this ebb and flow of being formed and reformed, right, in the hands of the potter. But I want to tell you this truth, and it's really important for us to know, is that being formed, the whole point of being formed and reformed is not to become a better version of ourselves. It is to become more like Jesus, right? Recently, I heard... Dr. Tony Evans, if you know who he is, I've been listening to him since I was a little girl, love him. He said recently, he said, oh, I could bring you a cute message and hopefully get a cute response from you. But when the world is falling apart, it's not time to be cute, it's time to be clear. And so ladies, I have come today to be clear with you. 
I think over the past few years, amen. I think over the past few years, <clears throat> Holy Spirit, you are welcome. <laughs> he came in the room. Amen. Woo. <laughs> amen. Amen. Over the past few years, ladies, I think the Lord has been busy building his church, which, by the way, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Amen. But I think he has also been reforming his church. What things do we need to be thinking of differently? What things do we need to be doing differently? And, and the point of reforming, listen, sometimes it comes in just a simple, like God highlights it. And it's like, oh, okay, yes, sir. Yeah, we can totally shift that. Sometimes it's just like a one degree change, right? And other times there comes a shaking. And I think what we have been walking through recently has been a shaking. Raise your hand in here if you are hard to wake up. Your girl is hard to wake up, right? Um, when I was a kid, I can remember my mom would come in to wake me up in the morning, and she would start off real sweet. Heather Rose, it's time to get up, beautiful. And I'd be like, come oh, here. And then I would crash out again. Five minutes later, she, Heather Rose, get out of bed. I'd fall back asleep. She'd come back in. Heather Rose, get out of bed. And if, if she came back in again, she was going to grab me and shake me and say, wake up. Wake up, and you know that feeling when you are suddenly awakened and your heart is pounding. And you're like, you feel disoriented, you're confused. I don't know what, what time of day it is. I don't even know my name. In those moments, I feel like this is where we have been. This is that moment with the blender, with the lid off. This is where we have been. I believe that God has allowed a shaking. And again, I'm going to quote one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Tony Evans. And he said this. He said, when your normal course of events, i.e. your daily life. So you wake up every day. Maybe you get yourself ready for work or maybe you have kids. You get them ready for school. Then you go to work. Then you come home and you do dinner and you have a routine. He said, when your normal course of events is completely disrupted. Example, lockdowns, quarantines, social unrest. When the normal course of events is completely disrupted, God has allowed a shaking because he wants things to operate differently than they ever have before. He doesn't want them to be the same. But oftentimes the most vulnerable point, if we're being honest, of shaking is that it exposes our foundation. And over the last couple of years, once the newness of getting to stay home and, oh, I'm going to rest. I have just needed this rest. Okay, fine. Lockdown is going to be great. I'm going to learn how to make sourdough bread and post it all over Instagram. <laughs> and now some of y'all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You were like, I'm on day five of my starter. And I've already pulled my stuff out and threw it away. I don't understand why you throw dough away. What a waste. But anyways... You like, you get to day 10 and then you bake that thing, it comes out crusty and you're taking a video scratching your knife across it so everybody can hear how crusty it is. Like, I know these videos, but I actually spent my time developing gluten-free, dairy-free biscuits. Now, let me, let me just tell you, some of those who feel like you have a in your mouth when you hear gluten-free, honey, I did that. But I did it, y'all. And I'm not, I don't have food allergies, but I have some family members with sensitivities. And I said, let me pull up my sleeves. I can do this thing. And they are good. I wish I'd have brought you some. I'm so sorry. But the bottom line is, when the newness of all of that lockdown, when it began to wear off, all of a sudden, it was like we were looking in a strange mirror. We were faced with, what is my life built on? 
What is my emotional health built on? What is my identity built on? What is my faith built on? It exposed our foundations. A few years ago, the two cities that border Conway, where Nikita and I live, they're called Mayflower and Valonia, there was a tornado that ripped through those cities. It's like 10 minutes from my house. Some of you are shaking your heads, you remember. And it was literally like a year or two after that, they got hit again. But I remember the day after that first tornado, uh, our church was mobilizing volunteers, and I rounded up a group of women in a truck, and we went into this subdivision, y'all. It's a beautiful subdivision, like rolling green hills. It's stunning. And when we came up to the houses, my jaw dropped, and the tears just started falling because all I saw were piles of matchsticks everywhere, laying on foundations. That's all it was, and people were out there looking for anything they could hold on to. Wedding rings, pictures, pets, they were all looking to hold on to something. And to me, that picture is what 2020 and 2021 has felt like. All of the sudden, a shaking occurred, and then our foundations got exposed, and we started looking around to hold on to anything that we absolutely could. Sorry, ladies. And here's what I want to say. When a shaking occurs, for those who belong to Jesus, you have a relationship with Jesus. When the shaking occurs, this is the moment that the Lord is asking you to check your foundation. Just check it. Is there anything else you're trying to build your life on? But for those of you who have not started a relationship with Jesus, this is the moment that he needs to pour the foundation for you. Because let me be clear. For those of you who do not know Jesus, this is the truth. The Bible says that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And the fact is, without him, this world, in all of the crazy that is going on, is as good as it will get. That is a sobering thought, ladies. Oh, how we need Jesus. But this process of us being formed and reformed, that God is calling us to, the way that we check or pour the foundation, it only happens one way an encounter with the presence of God. And we have come today to encounter the presence of God. So ladies, if you are here for it, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, buckle up, buttercup. Okay, now look at your second choice. <laughs> and say, you too, boo-boo. I feel a spirit of unity in this room. Amen. <laughs> All right, ladies, let's, let's just pray. Let's just pray. We already saw Holy Spirit walk in, but let's just pray. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you are here. We don't have to beg you to come. Your daughters have gathered under your name. And so we simply ask that you would come and enlighten the eyes of our understanding as we read your scriptures. Reveal Jesus to us that we may know him more fully and love him wholeheartedly. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. So the first passage I want us to look at today, if you've got your Bibles, your electronic Bibles, whatever it is, if you pull those out, we're going to travel over to Isaiah again. This is Isaiah chapter 6. I'm about to read eight verses, so buckle up, okay? Just stay with me. This is going to be good. Verse number one, it starts out and it says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. 
He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they flew. They were calling out to each other as they encircled Jesus. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over, I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar, and he touched it to my lips, and he said, see, this coal has touched your lips, now your guilt is removed. And your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. What an amazing moment. This passage opens up with a partial sentence that says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And this partial sentence is actually referencing two very specific things that we need to understand. Number one. Isaiah recorded in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 the entirety of Uzziah's reign. Uzziah was a brilliant king. He was an inventor. He was very creative. The hand of God was with him, and he was so blessed until he became arrogant, and he lost his fear of God. He walked up into the temple and decided to burn incense on the altar, which was a role that was only to be performed by a priest because he lost his fear of God. And when that happened, not only that, y'all, but the priests, 80 priests, can, you can read all about this in Second Chronicles 26, 80 priests walked up to him to say, hey, bro, you know that God has said this is not your role. And he got angry, and he began to argue with him. That is what pride looks like. You get called on your stuff, and you get angry, fighting mad immediately. Pride had entered, and the fear of God had left. And Uzziah, in that moment, was struck with leprosy. And do you realize that he was separated out from the house of God for the rest of his life? You guys, this is harsh. He died a leper. So in the year that King Uzziah died, it references both God's judgment that fell on a leader who forgot his fear of the Lord, which, by the way, it calls us to humility. This calls you and I to a place of humility to remember, I am not God. I am not God. I have to remain obedient because love of Jesus is spelled O-B-E-Y, obey. If you love me, you're going to obey, right? But in this moment, I believe that God is asking us, I want to reform inside of you your fear of me. I want you to come back to a holy place because the bottom line is, it is not what you believe to be true that you will be led by. It is what you love the most. And Uzziah loved himself the most. But the Bible tells us we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And the second thing that this partial sentence references is the instability that the death of a king brings to a nation. Where's, what is going to happen? There's fear all over it. Our enemy's going to overtake us. It is an atmosphere of fear, grief, and chaos. Yet it was in the midst of this atmosphere of fear, grief, and chaos that Isaiah saw the Lord. This is so hopeful for you and I, ladies. 
because in the midst of our own national instability, there has been fear and grief and chaos running rampant in our nation. God is extending an invitation to you and I to see the Lord. And not only that, but to look up and see that the whole earth is actually filled with his glory. Amen. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we ignore what we see. Okay? We're not weird. We don't ignore what we see. It just means that we live with a greater reality of the hope of Jesus in the midst of all of this. Because if we are constantly fixing our eyes on the world, ladies, if we're fixing our eyes on despair and discouragement and hopelessness, then we will look up and all we will see, we will be filled with despair and discouragement and hopelessness, right? But we have an opportunity today to do just as the seraphim did. I want us to get a good picture in our mind what Isaiah is seeing. These seraphim, these angels with six wings, it's pretty brilliant. They are literally encircling Jesus, saying, holy, 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 like fixed on him. Is the Lord God Almighty, the, the Lord, sorry, I'm going to another passage. The Lord of heaven's armies, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And if you and I will lock eyes with Jesus, then when we look up, we don't see despair. We see his glory that has filled the earth. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it actually tells us how we do this Christian walk and live with encouragement. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So what are you looking at? What have you been looking at? What have you been focusing on? The second part about Isaiah's encounter that's very interesting to me is Isaiah's response. When Isaiah encounters the holiness of God, immediately he becomes painfully aware of his sin. Immediately. And I wonder if anyone else in here like me has ever come into a moment where it's the presence of God. Maybe it's in worship, maybe worship earlier. Maybe it's in reading the word or in a time of prayer and you felt that something that was hidden, something that was maybe sinful, that nobody else knows about, you felt it creep to the surface. And I wonder, do we get uncomfortable in that moment and instead of confessing like Isaiah did, we back out of the presence of God? Because it's too uncomfortable to look at it. But the reality, the bottom line is, ladies, when we come into contact with holiness automatically, if there's something there that's unholy, it's going to be highlighted immediately, right? But there is power in Isaiah's response to the Lord. He immediately confessed his sin to God. And so can I tell you the truth? Your confession before the Lord will unlock God's solution for you. Your confession before the Lord. Immediately the angel came with the coal, burning his mouth, saying, your sins are now forgiven. But the amazing thing is we go on in the New Testament, in the book of James, we're actually told that there's, this is a two-part deal. It isn't just forgiveness that we need. The book of James, it tells us in chapter 5 that we confess our sins to the Lord that we may be forgiven, but we confess to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. And so I wonder if some of us walking around in this room today have been forgiven, but we're still struggling because we haven't been healed. And so I want to encourage you today, ladies. I know it can be difficult to let someone in. I know. I know that it's vulnerable. But I am telling you, God doesn't just want you forgiven. He wants you healed. And so today, before you leave, whatever that thing is that you've been carrying, would you grab another woman, maybe the leader at your table? 
I'm available. Any of the pastors here, we're available. And have someone pray over you because it is time for you to be healed. Amen? Amen. Second passage I want to look at today, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Ooh, I could run around the room. The book of Revelation. Do you know the book of Revelation is the only book in all of Scripture that promises a blessing over those who read it? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this book, gives ear to it, and, do, and does what it says. There is a literal blessing on you when you read it out loud and become obedient to it. How incredible. But can I just set this moment up for you? Because this is, uh, this is John. He has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But do you know what happened before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos? He was boiled in a vat of oil. And he made it. He lived. And then he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos on which he built a fire because he's cold. He's probably going to eat something. And a snake comes out of the fire and bites him. And I'm looking at this. If I were John, I'd be like, really? Hello. I am just trying to give the good news of the gospel, okay? Just like what Pastor Katie was talking about earlier. Things come and they hit time after time after time after time. And you're thinking, really, God? I am just trying to talk about your good news. And I'm being eaten by a snake, boiled in oil. Now I'm stuck on this island. But you know what I think? You know why I think John didn't go there? I think John didn't go there because he saw what Jesus endured. And he said, what I'm walking through is nothing close to the cross. And so John, he's on the Isle of Patmos, starting in verse 10. It says, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, write in a book everything you see, and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And the one who was standing in the middle of this lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And his, sun, his face shined like the sun in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. What a moment. But you know what was interesting to me about this moment? John knew Jesus. John did three years of ministry with Jesus. He may have known him even longer than that. John was on the Mount of Transfiguration, which if you don't know what that is, let me just tell you, there was a moment where Jesus grabbed his three besties, Peter, James, and John, and they go up on this mount, and all of a sudden, Jesus starts glowing. He is in his full glory, and Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter, my boy Peter, y'all, boy, I love Peter, okay? Peter's like, hey, let's pitch a tent. We're going to stay up here, right? Because it's just too good, right? John was there. He saw Jesus in his glory. And yet, when he saw him standing among the lampstands, he said, I see someone who looks like the Son of Man. And I think John had two things that you and I need to grab a hold of. Number one is this. 
I think that John's perspective of Jesus was not casual. He didn't let him get familiar. He stayed filled with awe and wonder. He did not lose his fear of God. And the second thing is that Jesus is far more wonderful. He is far more spectacular than you and I have ever dared to hope or imagine. He is simply breathtaking. Because out of all that John saw, there was only one thing that made him fall as a dead man. And it was him. It was Jesus. And in this moment, John, he heard God calling him. He turned. He saw Jesus. And he fell before him. And I wonder if for you and I, if there's anyone in this room that maybe you've heard God calling, but you haven't turned yet. Or you've heard him calling and you've turned, but you haven't really looked at Jesus yet. You haven't locked eyes with him yet. Or you've heard and you've turned and you've looked at Jesus, but arrogance filled your heart. And you lost your fear of God somewhere along the way. Can I tell you, we have all been there. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, preacher, teacher, evangelist, apostle, whatever. We have all had a moment where we've had to check our foundation and renew our fear of God. And I believe that God is allowing a moment today to reform our view of him. This is what happens when we behold him. Notice what Jesus says, I was dead, but behold, I am alive. Listen, this word is different than the word see. You can see something at a distance. But if you're going to behold something, you pull it in close. You flip that thing around on all sides. You do what the seraphim did walking around on every side of him. I'm locking eyes with Jesus. I'm not moving from this place. This is what it looks like, ladies, to behold. Listen, we have to behold him because in the day and time that we are living in, his face has to be our dominant thought. His glory must become our dominant thought, ladies. So what have you been looking at? we have any mamas in the room? You ever been having a conversation with your kid and they're like looking everywhere except at you? And you're like, look at me. And they're like, I am. And you're like, no, you're not. Look at me. Right? And then eventually maybe you might like lovingly grab their face and say, look at me. Look me in the eyes. Right? This is where I believe the church is at right now. I believe that Jesus is standing in front of the bride saying, look at me. Lock eyes with me. Ladies, look at me. 2021, for my family, not unlike any other, you know, a lot of people walk through very hard things, but it happened to be the hardest, most challenging year of my family's life. In February, as the snow was falling, you guys remember that? Can I just tell you, pray specifically, because me and my sister, we have what we call snow faith. We have been praying for four years. Legit, we've been praying for 18 inches on the ground for an entire week. Yeah. Honey, in Conway, right, in Conway. That never happened. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I feel seen. Amen. Amen. So the snow began to fall on Sunday when I was trying to make it home from leading worship in Little Rock. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, this is the promise. I'm not going to wreck because you came to answer the prayer. And... <clears throat> So I make it home and the snow is falling. It falls all day Sunday. It falls all day Monday. Stops on Tuesday and it starts falling again on Wednesday. And by the end of it, we had 18 inches. 
and it stayed on the ground for an entire week. I'm telling you, pray specifically. You want to honor the Lord and show him how big you really think he is? Ask big and ask specific, okay? But on, on Monday morning, Amber and I were sitting on her bed, my sister that I live with. We were sitting on her bed with her big bedroom windows, just the curtains pulled open because we have been praying for this. Honey, when the blessing comes, get out in it. We were about to go out in it, okay? But we're sitting there, and we got on a Zoom call with her doctor, and we heard words that we never wanted to hear. The cancer's back. And it's in seven places. It's stage four. We went through breast cancer with my sister in 2019. Chemo, all of that. She rang the bell at the end of her treatments. Her course was run on that. We came home. She spent all of 2020 cancer-free. And then we get this diagnosis. It's aggressive. It's fast-moving. And chemo at this point is indefinite. And so we began a journey again that we didn't think we were going to have to walk through again. And then in June, COVID cycled through our family, and it hit my dad really hard. And on Father's Day, June 20th, I took my daddy to the emergency room. He was kicking and screaming the hallway. He was so mad he didn't want to go. He's like, this is not how I want to end Father's Day. I'm like, your fingernails are blue, sir. We're going to the hospital, okay? So we go to the emergency room, and I stay on the COVID floor with my dad locked in his room because of protocol for three days. And over those three days, I didn't sleep. You were talking about what it's like to be sleepless and how you can't function. Three days, I did not sleep. Because every time his alarms would go off, I would have to say, Daddy, breathe. Breathe, Daddy. Slow and steady breathing, Daddy. I would work to get him turned over in prone position on his belly because it's better for your breathing. And he started being deprived of oxygen in his brain, so things got really difficult. Words were being said. He was fighting me a little bit because he didn't know what was going on anymore. And the night before he was placed on a ventilator, I was in his room. I had turned my bed to face his monitors, and I slept with my glasses on. So that any time those alarms went off, my eyes could fly open. I knew immediately what I needed to say to him. Breathe, Daddy. Breathe, Daddy. Whatever it was. Okay, Daddy, let's get you rolled on your side again. Let's get you rolled on your belly, whatever it is. But that particular night, they didn't stop going off. And I remember laying in that chair, staring at the monitor, saying, God, please let him breathe and just give me five minutes of sleep. Just five minutes, God, to close my eyes. Five minutes, Lord. And it was every minute and a half. I was timing it. Every minute and a half, the alarm was going off, meaning his oxygen had dropped below 88%. And it was taking longer for his oxygen to recover. Ladies, I'm telling you, I found the end of myself that night. Much like Pastor Katie was saying, she believed that she would at some point have control. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty used to, if I try something, if I give a nominal effort, I can usually do it, whatever it is. I don't mean that as bragging, but I'm just not used to, like, not being able to do it. I couldn't heal him. I couldn't make him breathe. I could not fix him. And I went beside his bed, and I placed my hand on his chest. And by the way, I just want to say, I'm not trying to trigger anything. If any of you in here have walked through this, right now, in the name of Jesus, I bind a spirit of trauma off of your life and what you have seen. And we shut the doors that were opened by that spirit of trauma in the name of Jesus. But I walked over to my daddy and I placed my hand on his chest and I dropped to my knees. And I just began to sing. I need you, Jesus. 
to come to my rescue. Tell me where else can I go? There's no other name by which I am saved. You capture me with grace. And I need you, Jesus, to come to my rescue. Tell me where else can I go? I remember this scripture in John chapter 6 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? Where would we go? Who else has the truth? Who else is the Son of God? Where would we go? Later on in our journey, this was a five and a half month hospital stay. But later on in our journey, we were at a different facility, four different facilities in five and a half months. And I was staying awake one night, bed facing the monitors. He was still on a ventilator at this point. And I'm just staring at the monitors with my glasses on. That's how I slept. And one of his nurses walked into the room. And she looked at me and she said, do you trust me? And I said, I don't like that question. (laughs) She said, do you trust me? I said, with what? I'm not committing yet, okay? And she said, I'm going to turn the monitors off. I'm going to go out to that nurse's station and turn the monitors off in here. Because you can't work both the day shift and the night shift. And I was like, I'm like panicking, heart is racing, sweat stashed the whole nine yards, y'all. And I looked at her reluctantly. I said, okay. And she walked over and she fiddled with his monitors. And I was like, she's going to turn it off from the outside. I don't know what she's doing. And when she walked away, she had placed two post-it notes on his monitor. I think we have a picture. I took a picture of it. She put the post-it notes that say Sabbath rest. And be still and know that I am God. And then she shut the monitor off. And in that moment, I laid there. And I began to close my eyes and sleep. She was right. She was right because what I was staring at was exhausting me. What I was staring at was breeding anxiety inside of me. I wasn't resting. I wasn't hearing the Lord say, Heather, look at me. But in that moment, when I finally closed my eyes and rested, it was like I felt Jesus come up and place his right hand on me and say, do not fear. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Ladies, the truth is what we are fixing our eyes on, it's not just important because of of the side effects of this, but the point is that you become like what you behold. You become like what you behold. So if you are beholding despair, if you're beholding discouragement, shifting numbers and monitors, then you yourself will despair. You will be discouraged and unstable. But hear me when I say this, what you are beholding is being given permission to form something in you. Let me say that again. What you are beholding is being given permission to form something inside of you. So what are you looking at? 
What have you locked eyes with? What are you beholding? If you will behold the glory of God, then you will see his glory filling the earth. It will be all around you, and you will be filled with joy. You will be filled in the darkest of your seasons with joy that by all human standards is unreasonable, hope that is unreasonable, peace that is unreasonable. And I believe the Lord simply wants us to hear him today saying, do not be afraid. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the contact us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.